you are now tuning into the Four Feathers podcast brought to you by Chicago Sports Nation. Blackhawks fans, and welcome to the very first episode of the Four Feathers podcast, presented by Wegren Enterprises and Chicago Sports Nation. I am Johnny Nani, and I am joined by fellow Blackhawks Nation bloggers Tyler Jones and Tony Marchese. How are you doing, guys? What's up, buddy? How are we doing? What's going on, Johnny? Long time no talk. <laughs> yeah, just last night it was. Yeah, yeah. so for, uh, for all the listeners out there... Um, I joined Chicago Blackhawks Nation um, because of Tony Marchese and his podcast uh, for the White Sox uh, Nation page, Shy Sox Weekly. I've been a recurring guest on there. So um, we got together and decided that we wanted to continue uh, talking sports throughout uh, the winter. And we're all big Blackhawks fans, so we linked up and got this podcast together just in time for hockey season. Yep, here we are. And then, uh, yeah, I actually, um, I'm the section manager over at uh, at the at the Blackhawks Nation page on Shy Sports Nation, so uh, it's kind of a new gig for me over there as well. Uh, I did the Shy Sox Weekly podcast uh, all year with, uh, with John Suarez, and Johnny, we loved having you on over there. Uh, we loved having all the guys from Sox on 35th, your, your other uh, uh, site that you work for. Um, Johnny, you actually introduced me to our third co-host panelist, uh, Tyler. Tyler, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Yeah, I'm happy to be a part of this. It's uh, Blackhawks are a big part of my life. And me and Johnny did a, I think that was the first podcast I ever did on my uh, separate podcast, but it ended up mm-hmm. never airing. We had some like uh, technical difficulties, but... I'm excited to be a part of this one. Awesome. And we do have a fourth gentleman uh, who will be joining us in a later episode and going to be with us all year. His name is Ron Lucy. Ron is also a blogger over at the Blackhawks Nation page. He also does some stuff for the rink. Uh, which is a competing site. We don't hold that against him. Uh, I know most of the, if, if, if you're a hockey podcast guy, you probably listen to some of the stuff or you've seen them on Twitter. Uh, Ron writes for both sites. Uh, and if you haven't read anything that Ron has written so far, I highly advise that you do. Uh, he's an excellent writer. We're sorry that he can't be with us here tonight. Uh, he had some, some work stuff going on. He's out of town on business, uh, but we'll be bringing Ron in, uh, on our next episode. So, uh, that's kind of the crew that we have. Um, let's get right into it, guys. Let's talk about how we became Hawks fans. Mm. Well, for me, um, you know, I, I was, into hockey, but not so much as I am right now. I know my parents are huge Hawks fans. And um, for me, it was like uh, in middle school or kind of like early high school, I was playing a lot of the NHL video game and, you know, watching games with my parents and stuff like that and just kind of got deeper into hockey as a sport. And obviously, the deeper you go into the sport, uh, if you're from Chicago, the more you're going to fall in love with the Blackhawks. And ever since then, man, it's been it's been a one way route. Yeah, for me, it was my dad. Uh, my dad got me into sports when I was young, played baseball uh, all growing up, so I'm a huge White Sox fan, like he was, my grandpa was. Um, 
And then my dad played hockey. I never got to play hockey in high school. Um, I focused more on baseball, but I always loved hockey. It's for me, um, it's just the most entertaining sport. And um, I mean, going through the tough times with the Hawks early on um, that and then ascending into, you know, three cups in six years uh, just strengthens your uh, attraction towards the team. So um, I watch almost every single game. What I say, 77 games last year, even in that uh, crappy season that we had. Uh, but I just love it. I love hockey, love sports in general, but hockey is definitely my favorite. So I'm excited to cover the Hawks and talk Hawks to you guys. Yeah. So for me, uh, kind of a little bit of both of a mixture of what you guys said. Uh, I didn't play hockey growing up as a kid. Uh, I did grow up on a block, though, with with three hockey players who played for a travel club. So for me, it was, you know, during the summer that we do two things. We'd play pickup street hockey on roller skates and wiffle ball, baseball. And I was always the worst one out there. Right. I didn't play um, on ice. I, I didn't really know anything about hockey. Uh, my, my parents weren't into it. Um, you know, I, I was the oldest out of all my brothers, so it's not like I had brothers playing it. So I kind of picked the game up from, uh, from a few of the kids on the block. Um, I was always designated goalie most of the time. Um, I've got more stories that I'll get into later with some of that because they're good stories. But um, the my, my best friend growing up, uh, his, his dad was a big hockey guy. So during the summer, uh, he'd be in the garage. He had a TV in the garage, and he, this is this is the mid '90s. So you know, it, he's out in the garage, you know, chewing tobacco and spitting sunflower seeds and drinking beers just all in the afternoon. And me and my buddy are out there watching the game and and playing hockey in his driveway and shit like that. So uh, that's how I picked hockey up. And of course, they were black, big Blackhawks fans. So you know, I, I I picked that up, and then it was actually. NHL 97, um, the game that really solidified me as a hockey fan. Uh, it was on the computer. It was my first actual video game was, was NHL 97. And my, my, uh, my buddy across the street also got it. So this is, this is like first grade for me. Um, and this is before, you know, Xbox live and all this other stuff. Uh, my dad is actually a, a computer guy. So what he did is he somehow figured out, how to connect my computer with the kid across the street's computer. So at <laughs> night we could play NHL against each other. Awesome. Um, and I, I remember uh, my dad who, you know, d does not know anything about hockey at this time. And, you know, my best friend and his dad, and we actually did like two player versus two player NHL before there was any sort of, you know, NHL online you know, compatibility like it is today. Um, so I remember growing up and doing that every year and just, that was a, a really good experience for me. And then what kind of cemented it all together. I don't know if you guys were, were watching hockey at this time was kind of the Chris Chelios, Tony Amante era, a uh, little bit of Jeremy Roenick there towards the end. Um, that that's all around kind of like that time frame for me. Uh, my aunt actually uh, took me to my first game, I think in like 1998, um, as a young kid, I, I still have my second grade picture. Um, my school photo was actually taken in a Chris Chelios Jersey. Uh, so that I kid you not, like I went back the other day and I, I, I found this picture of me in a Chris Chelios Jersey and I, I brought it to my mom and I was like, you really let me go to school and, and take my, my second grade 
photo because normally you know kids like dress up for, yeah right. for school pictures i mean i've i've got two young kids they just had picture day the other day my, my son was in a polo um I was in a Chris Chelios jersey. I mean, that's how much hockey mattered to me, even at that young of an age. Uh, I never got to play it, probably because, you know, when I was in second grade, like I broke my collarbone playing football. I probably just hockey maybe not may not have been the thing for me. Um, baseball always was. That's what I played. But hockey's always been there. And that continued on, just like you said, Johnny, into uh, watching the team ascend. Uh, into you know a, a championship caliber team right as I was entering you know my college years and stuff like that so that was I mean it was it was really cool for me uh, to do that um, it was actually when they won in 2010 was it was a great year for me my daughter was born uh, I got married that year and the Hawks won the cup so um, that's kind of like how I can remember shit is you know just in stages of life with, with Hawks championships and stuff like that. So <laughs> definitely a big, definitely a big Hawks guy. I'm really looking forward to, to doing this. I had a lot of fun on Chai Sox weekly this year. Uh, so this is my, my second podcast that I'm, I'm involved in as well. And uh, I'm looking forward to see what we can put together boys. Yeah, that's a great backstory there, Tony. I love the uh, Chris Chelios Jersey uh, selection for your second grade photo. And, you know, uh, since we are the Four Feathers podcast, I just want to touch on we have the best jerseys in all of sports, not just hockey, all of sports. Mm-hmm. The Four Feathers, the Indian head sweater. For me personally, the white is my favorite because the feathers and the face facial uh, paint sticks out a lot more uh, than the red kind of masks it a little bit. But that was one thing my dad always told me. He's like, you know, the Hawks have the best jerseys in all of sports, and I wholeheartedly believe that. Yeah. And I just thought it was appropriate to drop that in since we are the Four Feathers podcast. Yeah, and that's that's kind of how we, we came up with that name too, right? So we've got four of us uh, on this podcast. I know we're only three today, so I guess we could go by, go as the Three Feathers today. <laughs> but uh, Four Feathers, uh, you see that everywhere. That, that logo is iconic. Um, and you're right. I mean, that is the best logo in all sports. There's no question about it. And they've tried to change it recently, right? Like people were kind of complaining that it's you know what they're saying racially, that it's racist, yeah, racially, yeah, racially charged yeah. yeah um there's been some backstory if you actually go in and yeah the, and right, why the, it is not um, blackhawk infantry unit yeah yep, exactly um not that not that there isn't other you know indian influences in illinois and and chief blackhawk and all that other stuff and for sure we could we could probably do a whole episode on the history the logo yeah. and the history of of all this stuff uh but that's not I don't think that's best served in our pilot ep- no, episode. Probably not. <laughs> um, but but definitely something that we can get into and, and talk about. Um what about this guy's uh favorite Hawks player of, of your lifetime? What do you guys got? Marion Hosa. Oh my god, that guy did it both ends of the ice. Um he was just a stand up guy, humble, quiet, mostly kept to himself. I mean his English wasn't that great, but uh you know, that might have played a part in it, but he <laughs> was the he's probably going to go down as the best free agent signing in Blackhawks history. And I hope we see 81 hanging in the rafters sometime. Um, but yeah, I just love Hosa. I, I'm sad to see him go officially. I know he's not playing, but even the contract off the books and, you know, technically being an Arizona coyote, that it just doesn't sit right with me. It's just not right. He's a Blackhawk yeah. for life. Definitely. I mean, still a team player by making, by giving up, you know, retiring and saying that he's yeah. not really retired. But for me, man, my uh, favorite Hawks player has got to be Roosevelt. 
No, no fucking way. No, it's probably Kaner, man. Seeing uh, you know, I got kind of into hockey late, like I said. So seeing someone, especially Kane, kind of the way he skates and controls the puck, and kind of it just looks like everything's slowed down when he's got the puck. You know, it looks like he doesn't. Nothing is affecting him at all. So seeing him kind of take over and and he's so fucking electrifying. So yeah, man, definitely Kane for me. Yeah. I definitely also have to echo you, Johnny. Uh, Marion Hosa is my guy. Um, I have a dog named Hosa. Uh, that's, <laughs> I've got a three-year-old boxer, uh, Hosa. He, his, actually, his half-brother, uh, the, the bane of my existence right now, the, the puppy, uh, is actually named Duncan. Um, they're half-brothers. <laughs> but uh, Hosa is, is everything for me. Coming to the Hawks, like I said, 2010 was a huge year for me. Um, before Hosa even came to the Blackhawks, I was a Marion Hosa fan. I followed his career in Atlanta, Ottawa. Uh, I actually have an Ottawa Hosa shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marion Hosa just is the definition of hockey player to me. Um, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. When he was on the ice, you knew that the Hawks always had a chance, or whatever whatever line he was playing on was a shutdown line. Watching that guy on the back check was just like watching basically hockey porn. He <laughs> skated, he forechecked, he shot. He could have been a much better goal scorer if that's what he just tried to focus on, but he was a complete package of a hockey player. Um, I got so broken up about it, and you can actually ask anybody that I work with. Um the day that, that, that Hosa announced that he wasn't going to be playing, um, and I still have them saved in my YouTube channel, are like Sarah McLaughlin, like, and like <laughs> sad like music songs set to Marion Hosa highlights. I'll share them with you guys. But I literally went through a day where I put up a projector at work and a speaker, and I attached it to it, and I just played Marion Hosa highlights and sat there and watched them. And my boss would like walk by and be like, are you okay? And I'm like, we're not, not really. talking right now. I'm like, we're not talking right now. Cause this is serious stuff. And I'm like in my Marion host of Jersey. Uh, I'm, you know, kind of sad, you know, just really broken up about this. This, this was like the first, like Marion host is not playing again. And then when he got traded, I did uh, another similar thing where I set that all back up I didn't talk to anybody for a while um, and then just played Marion Hosa videos all over again. So people kind of know my my love for Marion Hosa. My wife knows my love for Marion Hosa. Um, everybody knows that. I mean, that's my guy. I've got two Hosa jerseys. I've got a dog. I've got the whole Marion Hosa package. He is he is everything that I could have ever wanted to witness uh, in a Blackhawk uniform. Uh, my biggest regret was not knowing when his last game was going to be to really actually appreciate that. Uh, I want to see uh, when they, yeah, I know that the Hawks do this one last shift thing. I would be really happy to see a one last shift for Marion Hosa on a one day contract. If he could do it, go out and actually play one last game as a Hawk, just for the fans, because you know, he's still in, in, in the physical shape to do so. Um, I'd like to see him play one last game as a Hawk. I think it would be really cool and special for a lot of people. Yeah, that, that would he can't be wear the equipment though, right? Isn't that, that's what the, 
So yeah, they yeah. say that 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 is a, a product of buildup over time. I don't. I'm not saying give Hosa like 20 minutes of ice time. Yeah, I'm saying yeah. Like sign him to a one day contract and put him out there for one shift, and right. that's it. Get him off the ice. Like at the end of the season, like in a game that doesn't matter, or even in even to me, even in a preseason game. Right. Just let him get out there. On, a, on an actual shift on the ice and retire as a hawk rather than like the okay let's bring a 60 year old marion hosa out in gear and, and kind of parade <laughs> around right i'd like to see hosa actually compete in one last shift and if there's anything that i can get out of this podcast is maybe enough draw for everybody that in like three or four years marion hosa will come out on the ice and actually <laughs> give me what i want <laughs> i just love uh, love to see that happen yeah i agree with you 100 uh, percent i you touched on it by saying, you know, you wish you would have known when it was actually going to be his last game. And same here, because, you know, I mean, not that we didn't appreciate him, but you, you just look back on that and get all nostalgic about it. And exactly. I don't know, it's uh, it was a tough, tough, to, tough news to take when he was officially done. Yeah, Absolutely. Sure. It, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm I'm pretty broken up about it, obviously. So, I mean, if it still affects me this much to this day. Uh, you know, the one thing though, and I, I know we, we're going to have to get into this is that trade, the actual hockey ramifications of trading Marion Hosa to the Arizona Coyotes this off season. Uh, there's actual on the ice implications of this deal. Um, and we still have $5.4 million in cap space that came from that deal. What do you guys think about that? Uh, Johnny, you want to break that down? Yeah, my my biggest thing at that is I was just pissed to see Hinnestrosa go. Um, I think he was due for a breakout season, and I feel like we're letting him go at a time where that's the kind of spark that we're going to need this year. Um, I mean, obviously you need your bounce-back years from Saad, Taves, Keith, but that could have been a guy who just comes in and lights it up, and he can shift up and down the lineup. He can play on the third line. He could be your winger on the first line too so for me that that's I, mean, I understand the you know salary uh aspect of it but it still doesn't make losing uh Hinnestros any easier especially since what we got back is basically i would say a a gamble with uh was that mckenzie and whistle mm-hmm. i i've got a buddy who's a coyotes fan and he's not all that he was never all that huge on him. Um, so, I mean, hopefully something come of his game, but I don't know. It, it sucked to see him go, and it kind of, you know, we talked about this before we jumped on, but kind of reminded me a little bit, not as much as uh, impact as the Tavo uh, Bickle trade to Carolina, but I don't know. It it, it sucks. <laughs> that's That's all I got to say about that. So yeah, we talked about that a little bit off air. Uh, I actually had that conversation with, with somebody at work, which trade was more detrimental almost to the Blackhawks was getting rid of Bickle or Teravainen. Uh, and Bickle and Teravainen or Hosa, the, the, the contract of Marion Hosa and Hinnestroza. Uh, and I was told that this Hosa-Hinnestroza deal was worse. I don't agree with that one bit. I'm kind of curious to see what you guys have to think about that. Uh, I'll give my two cents later, but uh, Tyler, you could, you could take that and run with it. Yeah, so uh, like we said, we were talking about it earlier, and um, originally I kind of side with Tony in that, I mean, the Tavo 
and Bickle trade was worse in my opinion. But then finding out what we got for that trade, it kind of makes it easier to swallow because that draft pick that we get for Tavo and Bickle turns out to be Debrinket. Whereas for Hosa and Hinestroza, what what's the end game that we got out of it? Is Mackenzie Entwistle, right? And cap room, yeah. but we get cap room in both of them. And probably around the same amount, right? What was Hosa's contract at? Um, Something, you know, we get $4 million for Bickles. Yeah. And something like that for Hosa's. So, you know, like at first look at it, I kind of on the surface of it, I got to say Bickle and Tavo is the worst trade, but really digging into it, I think um, the return is much better than the Hosa and Henestroza. Yeah, Hosa's cap hit is uh, 5.2. Okay. Tyler. Yeah. Jeez, so we got... We got point two. We got all basically everything of our free cap is from the Hosa trade. Yep, essentially. Yeah, and the one thing that really kind of scared me about trading Marion Hosa is if you actually get into the nitty gritty on this contract and some of these cap recapture penalties, if Hosa were to actually announce tomorrow that he were to retire officially from the game. And I'm not saying he's going to do this. It would be a real shocker for me if he actually made a move like that. Um, but let's say something happens with LTIR or, you know, the league gets involved in some of this stuff. And all of a sudden, the the trend of, of stashing people on, you know, your, your long-term injured reserve just to meet cap hit uh, – becomes a thing that's that's a problem i'm not sure when the next cba expires or anything like that but if hosa were to announce that he's retiring the hawks actually get hit with cap penalty uh with a cap penalty even if marion hosa is technically a member of the arizona coyotes i thought Mm. that the hawks would keep hosa until his official retirement uh, because I don't think you can technically on paper go make a deal with Marion Hosa and say, hey, we're going to trade you, but we need you to not retire. Now, I know that Marion Hosa and his agent and everybody is all aware of what that situation is. If he were to retire, he would screw the Hawks over royally. Right. It would literally yeah. just fuck them over. So you know that that's not going to happen. But say a team like, you know, the Arizona Coyotes flip Marion Hosa somewhere else, and that team talks him into retiring. Now, I don't think that, the, again, this is so far into conspiracy theory, but at least by keeping Marion Hosa on your payroll, on your roster, and having that open line of communication with Marion and his family and, and, and all of that, you avoid the chances for some reason of something like that happening. And that's one of the reasons why I thought, like, hey, that. There's no way that they're actually going to trade him in his contract. Uh, I was proven wrong by that. Um, so apparently there's a lot of trust there. Uh, but, you know, this is, you know, any, like like I said, anything can happen, but we don't expect that to. And so I think the deal to get rid of Marion Hosa and Hinnestroza, while Hinnestroza could have shown something and had some upside to him, he wasn't the same player that Tavo Teravina is turning out to be. Hmm. And I think that Tavo's time here, if you look back at how Joel Quinville used Tavo Teravainen, it was never in the right way. Yeah. Uh, he never Third got line. his 
yeah, third line, all this weird, like, weird pairings for Tavo. He never really got his shake to stick in the lineup with, you know, a Jonathan Taves or a Patrick Kane. And I know if you, you pair him with Kane, you kind of lose that size. Um, but Tara Vinen had speed. Tara Vinen had scoring ability. Uh, I, he was a little bit shaky when it came to the defensive stuff. And I don't know if they wanted to quite expose that second line if you were to play, you know, Kane and Tara Vinen on, this, on, this, on the same line. Mm-hmm. But I'm really surprised that you didn't have Tara Vinen just get a consistent look for a long time with a guy like Jonathan Taves because we keep searching for these answers on that first line. Like right now, you know, you've got Brandon Saad, and, or that was last year, the, the Saad and, and Taves experiment all over again. Right. Uh, you saw Marion Hosa rotate in and out of that first and third line. You've seen countless just random names. Uh, you saw Richard Ponick up there. You've seen all these guys. Consistency with Tavo Teravine, and you see what he did last year. Um, even with getting to bring it out of that, out of that deal, I'm still saying that you probably rather have at this point in time, Tavo Teravinen and Bickle off your books. They haven't really done anything since they made that deal. Yeah. I mean, they haven't, they haven't gone back to the playoffs and, and made some huge splash since they've made that deal. So right now you'd be dealing with Bickle off the books. You'd still have Teravinen. Who's to say where Debrinket fell in the draft? I mean, obviously the Hawks had him on their radar. Right. So, you know, who's to yeah. say they couldn't have made another move somewhere else? You you could have then made the Hosa move now still unaffected, but still have Tavo Teravinen and who knows what draft pick that Alex Debrinket could have turned into or another player for that matter who could have been just as good as Debrinket. Um, that's nothing against Alex Debrinket or his potential or what he's done so far for the Hawks. Well, and Debrinket and Tavo's numbers are like, I mean, Tavo, I mean, Tavo obviously scored more than him last year, but for Debrinket's first year, they're like eerily similar almost. I mean, 52 points for Debrinket with 28 goals and 24 assists. Tavo had, um, let's see, 64 points with 23 goals, 23 goals and 41 assists. So like, you know, not, I mean, they're not so far away from each other, especially with Debrinket kind of breaking in and tr- having to learn how to play a different game with his size and everything. Yeah. You brought up a point there, Tony, about, um, you know, pairing random guys with Taves. Um, looks like we're going to get another experiment. Um, just looking at some lines from practice today. Kunitz, Taves, Debrinket first line what do we think of that don't put kunitz on the first line man i don't think you can keep up with either of those guys kunitz has been on that first line every single fucking practice so far and this is what scares me how i don't have his i don't have his height and weight but if one of you guys can get that get get his height and weight get alex to brink it and then go look at the size of that first line versus what some of these other teams are going to put out there chris kunitz is slow and he's also small so Who's going to the net? So Kunitz is like six foot. Let's see, six foot one eighty four or one ninety five. So he's. I mean, he's a six foot. Yeah, he's not a. He's he's medium. He's a little bit bigger than what I expected. I thought he was he was more of a six foot one eighty guy. Him and Tate. The Brinkett is is short. Uh, I I don't really see that line putting together much offense again. (laughs) Um, you need to have speed in this this modern NHL and that line does not have speed. You see Taves take a step back to Brinkett's probably the fastest one on there. Do you really want to see to 
you know, leading the charge up there, causing a turnover, and then Kunitz rushing back. I can see yeah. that happening a lot already. I kind of like... Yeah, it'd be... Go sorry, ahead. I mean, cut you off. Say, it would be nice. I know Q kind of, you know, waits a little bit with these young guys. Um, I was thinking, you know, a Dylan Sakura up there. Yeah, that, that's what I think, That would too. probably be my uh, preferred first line. But I think with Q's just whole shtick about not trusting young players with their defensive game yet. I don't know if we're going to see that uh, early on in the season, at least, but I like to bring it with, with Kane, man, you got to put him on a line with Kane with that. I mean, he's similar to Panarin with the right-handed shot and, you know, I mean, you got Schmaltz on that line, right? But do we want to stack our entire offense on that second line? That's the question. That's another, that's another small line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that second line right now is Saad, Schmaltz, Kane. So, um, I mean, granted, these are, you know, just practice lines today and could change. I mean, Q, you know, runs, we call it on uh, Blackhawks Twitter, the line blunder, um, <laughs> you know, that he mixes up his pairings, mixes up his lines all the time. So, I mean, we, we are going to get a number of different looks, but right now. Uh, yeah, let's let's be honest. That line that we're talking about right now, may go into opening opening night as that line and then by the third game Taves is going to have at least six different people play with him yeah so So how do you fix that though do you trade for someone that's like a legit first line talent or do you kind of just mix and match like Q's been doing well I, I would I would definitely say that you need to go out and get somebody or one of these young guys has to step up and become that legit first line right. guy um i liked richard ponick in, in that first line role he kind of came out of nowhere it'll be interesting to see if anybody can come out of nowhere and be that you had to think that when you got brandon sod back that he was that legit first line guy yeah um i would actually make an argument that just because jonathan taves is quote unquote the first line that our second line is actually our first line yeah. and that our first line yep. is actually our second line these all become arbitrary in in the game because your pairings up against other teams are dependent upon what the other team is also throwing out there so your number one line is nothing more than what what you put on paper to start the day right so we'll see but i i still do think that this team needs another forward a legit Mm -hmm. forward um i don't know what's available out there right now that the hawks would even want to give up uh, I have my conspiracy theories on what the Hawks can even do, and I'll get into a, a tangent about that at some point. But this t- team is not right now built to built to win with a top-heavy offense. It, it's going to need to find some sort of consistency line one through four. Um, what I do like to see, though, is even though Artem Nisimov has not been traded yet somehow, uh, he's the third-line guy this year instead of the mm-hmm. second-line guy. Because he's done nothing but really take a step back as far as his quickness and, and his play. Granted, at $5 million, you'd like to see him be a legit second-line uh, center for the Hawks. But yeah. having him step back and, and the development of Nick Schmaltz at, at center uh, has really helped solidify that center that center position. Right now is the first time in a few years where I'm actually like, hey, going into the year, we're not missing a center technically because you have Marcus Kruger now to, mm-hmm. to back up that fourth line. So Kruger, Schmaltz, Taves, and Isimov, 
yeah, we got some decent centers. Yeah. I'm looking for a guy in the wing that can score. That yeah. Can eat right. up those goals that, that over the past few years, the guys like Marion Hosa, uh, you know, your Patrick Sharp of old before he went to Dallas can you know, pour on some goals. We need some secondary scoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's what we need. Well, me and Johnny were talking before before we got going, and I think a good a good example of a pickup like that would be Evander Kane for the Sharks, right? They needed some more scoring. They pick him up, mm-hmm. put him in a second-line role, and he starts blowing it up, and that's something that we need, you know? And with the Anisimov stuff, I think, you know, he might have a better year this year. Last year, we saw him struggle when he, he the you know, they're putting it on him to make the plays and score the goals and make the assist, whatever it may be. But he's not able to do that. When he's on a line with Kane and Panarin, he's going to do great. So this year they have him with who? Sakura and Fortin, maybe? Uh, Cahoon is on that line now. But okay. like I said, these were, these are just practice lines. Right. Um, so you, you may, may have like an edge cell there or someone. But again, two, you know, two young, talented, playmaker-esque type players that you know could play into the way that Anisimov scores his goals in front of the net I mean he had a ton of power play goals last year he was probably the only guy that was successful on our power play so I mean I I am all for trading him because I feel like the money could be spent somewhere else but you know if Q and management is still hot on him I feel like they can maybe find a place for him yeah you gotta remember he was riddled by injuries last year too I know Mm -hmm. it's not a complete excuse but I think that also made him like you said Tony take a little bit of a step back um, whereas if he's healthy going into this season and can sustain that, I think we'll see a better Artem Anisimov. I would hope so. In a diminished role, I think that Anisimov is serviceable. And like you said, the, the $5 million is kind of a, a glaring number. Uh, one of the things that I'm looking at right now that kind of is uneasy to me, uh, and I didn't really realize this, and I'm hoping maybe this is wrong, uh, Duncan Keith's salary is less than what we're paying Artem Anisimov. That's crazy. Wow. Um, Duncan Keith, it says base salary for this year is 4.5 versus Artem Anisimov's 5 million. So that to me, I know Duncan Keith is probably not the player he was in 2013, but Artem Anisimov is also not the player that he was in 2013. And there's no way that the value that you're going to get out of a guy like Artem Anisimov is more than what you're probably going to get out of Duncan Keith this year. Even if Duncan Keith doesn't even put in a goal, Um, just the leadership qualities out of him. Also the, you know, just the amount of ice time that that guy is able to play day in, day out workhorse um, versus Artem Anisimov, a a third line center at 5 million. That's a bad investment. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're in a salary cap league guys. We got to, we got to make better decisions than that. Right. And I've been looking, I'm looking at Anisimov stats here and it looks like, you know, there's been four times in his career where, in which he's missed like significant amount of games. So, it seems that he has a problem with injuries. I mean, 2013, he only played 35 games. 2015, he only played 52. Um, 2017, 64. So, I mean, not, you know, a couple of those are significant amounts. Some of them kind of run-of-the-mill stuff. But, again, it's something to think about. Well, if you're playing, if you're paying a guy $5 million and he's playing 60 to 50 games on average a year, yeah, there's, a, there's an injury problem there. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on what the stats look like in some of those down years, as long as they're on pace, I mean, that's kind of okay, but you know, you want to see something better out of that. If you look at some of these guys that, that the, the contract 
kind of makes you a little bit weary. It's it's guys like Brent Seabrook, Artem Anisimov, uh, Connor Murphy. Um, you don't want to be paying these guys four to four to seven million dollars a year to to not produce high quality numbers, especially when you've got almost thirty percent of your cap space between two players. So mm-hmm. it'll it'll be interesting to see what. Uh, what comes of that but uh, yeah Artem and Isimov, we'll see if they can get rid of him at this point in time I don't think anybody really wants to take on five million dollars at Artem and Isimov. no not for a third line center what do you guys think <laughs> yeah, of Murphy I mean I'm not too hot on him to be honest with you for me the the biggest knock is that he's more of an old school type of even though he's young he's still more like old he's school an, type of defenseman and right. the game is changing it's all about speed um, like the guy is not particularly fast, um, staying at home, you know, you gotta have a few guys that are like that, mm-hmm. but man, um, you'd like it when we'd gotten him from Arizona, I was, you know, kind of hoping it might've been someone else. Cause that was not the role that we particularly needed. Cause you got Brent Seabrooks, a guy that right. does that. Jan Ruda is a guy that does that. Um, Brandon Manning, who we signed in the offseason free agent, um, he's kind of guy that does that. He's more of a bruiser. Um, so I feel like we're a little bit, you know, stuck with those guys, and you feel like you have to play them because of their contracts and whatnot. Um, so some of these young these young defensemen that are trying to crack the roster, um, they're going to have to step up, and Eric yeah. Gustafson, uh, Carl Dahlstrom maybe. Um, um yeah, Blake Hillman. Hey, I think we might see Henry Yokoharu on the opening night roster. I hope so. I'd like to There's see. There's a it. good chance with Aruda is, I don't know, he's not officially listed out until, you know, the home opener, but he is dealing with an injury right now. Obviously, we know Connor Murphy's out until mid December. Yeah, now they just, yeah, they extended that today. I, I saw that it's, news. It's, it was extended about weeks. a month. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so. Um, there, there's going to be opportunities for these guys and, you know, it's, it's tough. You get in Q's doghouse early minutes get decreased. Um, it can be a tough position for these young defensemen, but someone's got to do it. Someone's got to step up. So I am looking forward to see what Eric Gustafson can do. That would be my defenseman to watch the project to watch. Cause he does have offensive ability and he can pick his spots. So it's just a matter of balancing that with not, you know, creating bad turnovers and not getting out of position. He had a few shining moments last year too. I mean, 16 points in the 35 games he played. That's not, it's not bad at all for, for a defenseman, especially one with his kind of experience. Yeah. That's not bad. Um, Connor Murphy's only 25. That's my only kind of saving mm-hmm. grace is just looking. If you, if you look down the roster, he's 25. So he's the same age as, as Brandon Saad is. Um, so there's still a lot of room for them to grow uh, over the next basically five years, I would say before they hit that, that magic 30 number. Um, I could see Connor Murphy kind of coming around a little bit uh, and getting changed into less of a stay at home kind of guy and, and developing that offense. I mean, the guy's a physical specimen too. Yeah. So he, he is yeah. athletic. Um, well, I like to see him throw his body more, man. He's six foot four, you know, and he's, he's got the potential to really, really change the game on that aspect of it. And I just well, don't th- think that's he does. the other, that's the other thing. When are we going to get a guy that's like Andrew Shaw back in mm-hmm. here who can actually like provide some sort of grit, look up and down this roster. And I want to know like who, 
If you're an opposing player, who are you fucking afraid of? No one. Who are you John, afraid of on this team? Yeah, the, the best we got is John Hayden. That's right. honestly the only name I can pull. Yeah, I, that's that's a little scary too. I know. I know that's, that the, the Hartman aspect, was that guy. Hartman, I yeah. was just gonna say that. Yeah. Oh my god, that was one that that hurt. Um, I I really liked Hartman a lot because I think he had an ability to. There were a few games where he played on that first line, and mm-hmm. it gave them just you know it gave Taves a little bit of not an enforcer but a grit guy. So it you know took some of the heavy minutes off of him grinding behind the net whereas Hartman's gonna go in there and you know get him right. uh, get dirty and you know even he, he just had a way of he, he had decent hands I mean, it was it wasn't great but he doesn't have stone hands um but I that would have been a guy that you're not afraid of but you are have to be aware of him on the mm. ice I would say well going but off of that I mean Victor Edgel we get him in that trade and he's another big guy, man. He's another guy that can play that role. I mean, six foot five, two fifteen, you know, definitely someone that can make a difference in terms of physicality. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, I, I, I feel like, you know, I'm talking to like old time hockey here. Like we need grit, we need sandpaper, but we do, we, we do, we do need some of that. Uh, the Hawks teams that won the cup, there was always a guy that, that people were afraid of a little bit. Ben Eager. Ben Eager was there, um, it, and that name really sticks out. You got guys like Daniel Carcillo. Yeah, um, Carbon. You know, you, you got guys that they served a role, and their role was no more than make people afraid, make people yep. aware, like keep people on their toes. If you're an opposing team right now and you come up against the Hawks, like these guys are going to try it and out finesse you. If, I, if I'm the coach of the other team, these guys are going to try and out finesse you. They're not going to be going hard for pucks in the corner. Uh, you got to watch out for Patrick Kane. He's gonna he's going to get around you, but let's throw two bodies at him because, guess what? Patrick Kane is playing with a slumping Brandon Saad, and you know we don't really have to worry about this because he's not a fucking threat right now. There's no look out for this guy. There's no Andrew Shaw is going to be out there buzzing around the ice, going to take your head off if you don't skate with your head up. If you're not, if you're out of position, somebody's going to be on you. Right. So, you know, I mean, two, two, guys like right? but two, he's, two, he's an AHL. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bufflin was it one of the guys out there that, that we had before. I know that's a lot of size Bickle even like, I don't look at this team right now and say, Hmm, this is a team that I would be afraid of. Yeah. Patrick Kane's going to have nights this year where he lights up that scoreboard. Taves is going to find nights where he's dominant on the faceoff circle and provides a little bit of offense. Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook are old, but they're still going to have those games where they are shut down on defense. And as scary as it sounds, Duncan Keith's the one I'm most afraid of on that ice because yeah. dude can go a little bit psycho sometimes. Yeah, he has a but, chip on his shoulder. But if you look back at some of these other Hawks teams, there was grit. There was sandpaper. I know it sounds old-time hockey, and I don't yeah. want to beat it into, like, we, we know the game has changed. Guys like Alex Dubrinkit, guys like Artemi Panarin are very successful in today's NHL. But on the same note, you got teams like Nashville, and I hate the Nashville Predators. We're going to cover this time in, time out. I hate the Nashville Predators. Though That's a team that I'm afraid to play against. You got guys yeah. like P.K. Subban. I don't want to go out there against him. Not at all. Cause mm. he's going to knock your fucking lights out. If you take one wrong step, the Hawks don't have that. They've never really solidified that back after the loss of some of these key players. Andrew Ladd was a guy yeah. I didn't want to be out there against. 
Andrew Shaw, Dustin Bufflin. Some of these guys that you lose in the in this cap, in the in the cap crunches, were those role players that people were afraid of, and we've kind of stripped away the identity of like the Hawks are a team that you should be afraid to play against. I think that's that's kind of where we're left right now, guys. But yep. who do you go I, after to fill that role? You know, like who's out there? You gotta, I mean, I'm hoping for a. Evander Kane would have been one of that's, those guys. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I don't really know who you'd go after out there, but I'm really hoping that John Hayden can step up and fill that type of a role. Um, like, Tony, I know you talked about, I don't want to, you know, be a dead horse here, but the the analytics people, they hate it. All the Corsi people, they all hate, you know, the, oh, grit, blah, blah, blah. They, they uh, you know, trash it all they want. And I, I agree the game has moved forward. It's a lot faster. You need a lot of skill, but to be able to open up areas on the ice for some of those skill guys, you need, you, there's still a place for that grit guy that, that, you know, look at some guys. They don't even have to be a complete, you know, meathead, uh, just uh, out there to hit and fight. Um, just guys like, uh, I'm trying to think there are a few on the predators. I feel like they can bash you into the boards and they can run up the other end of the ice and, you know, wrist one top shelf on the goalie. Yeah, you're looking, had, for, you're looking for you're looking for power seen. forwards. With that, yeah. You're looking for power forwards. You're looking for Brian Bickle a la 2013. Yeah. You're yeah. looking for a guy that can put the puck on the net, have a good good snapshot, maybe a, a heavy slapper who's going to get out there on the ice. He's not the fastest guy, but he can he can hit you. That's, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a guy who's going to fucking finish his checks and a guy that's going to be able to create space. Right. And, and you're right. I, I'm kind of the same way in baseball. Johnny, you've listened to Shy Sox Weekly. You've, you've been on podcasts with me. I'm not digging into stats. I'm not digging into war. I'm not digging into all that stuff. But on the same note, like I'm also not trying to sit there and, and be Hawk Harrelson on that, even though I love yeah. Hawk. But <laughs> it's kind of the same thing in hockey. There's been a transition in this sport to the analytics guys, Corsi Four, you know, all this, all this, these deep analytics into it. And I, I feel like a lot of those guys have kind of faded out of the NHL. So when you say, who do you even go after? A lot of them have disappeared, but the teams who are still competing, like we've brought up Nashville, have those types of players who, who can appease the analytics guys, but also create some havoc. Yeah. Yep. Ryan, Ryan Hartman is one of those guys too. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I was. I was so. That's that's when I just really hated to see go. I I always loved Ryan Hartman from the the time that we drafted him. He he was always one of my favorites. So just that I sucks to see him go. And I I really hope Edgesell can uh, step up here. He does have a really nice shot. I was watching mm-hmm. this guy at the prospect tournament. And he he has a really nice shot, but he's got a he's playing in the European league, so he's got to adjust to uh, the NHL game a bit. Well, he, he did um, so a good think, job in the playoffs too for the AHL. I think he scored some big goals when they were on yeah, that insane he run. Step, he did step up, uh, yeah, for the Ice Hogs in their run there. So let, let's hope he can uh, be a little bit of a force this year. Maybe you know, even if he doesn't score a bunch of goals, maybe he draws more defenders to him because they want to take away his shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. But again, it's another case where it's a giant guy, you know. Him and Murphy are specimens, like we were saying. But I mean, yeah. you got to play the body if you have that. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't seem like that's his. It was his type of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, type of game. So now he's a center as well, right? Yes, he is. So we got a bunch of centers, man. 
they have they have played him on the wing um, a fair amount though. He played a little bit of wing in the prospect tournament. Um, I think you know he was centering for Rockford though, mm-hmm. so it, it'll it'll be interesting to see how they utilize him. So Johnny, you brought up the prospect tournament, and that's one of the things that you were watching very closely. You were covering a little bit of that stuff uh, yeah. over on uh, on Blackhawks Nation. Uh, you want to give uh, give some of the listeners a little bit of a review? I know not everybody is as deep into what happened during the prospect tournament. Um, it's it's kind of one of those things that kind of signifies the beginning of hockey season for for the diehards like us. Yeah. Uh, you covered it pretty well. I got a lot of my updates through you on Twitter. Uh, you did an excellent job over on the uh, the Blackhawks Nation Twitter page and uh, getting our Twitter set up and kind of covered a little bit of that and on your own as well. Uh, I'd like to see you kind of take over and, and give everybody a little bit of a rundown of what your thoughts were on that. I don't really have anything to provide uh, is, is at this point, but uh, I think you have it you have it down pretty well. Yeah, so I watched uh, most of the games. Um, I think I missed one, but the Blackhawks finished fourth in the Traverse city prospect tournament that took place, uh, last week. Um, some guys that stood out to me were obviously Dylan Sakura. He had a game winning goal in overtime when they played the blues prospects. Uh, we know we've seen him last year. So most Hawks fans are familiar with Dylan Sakura, but, um, he's going to grow into, you know, his game here, uh, in the NHL. So he'll be fun to watch this year. Um, Alexander 410, he scored the Hawks only goal in the, uh, preseason game last night against the blue jackets, but I really like him. I don't know if he's going to crack the opening night roster. I would assume he'll probably be starting in Rockford this year, but I would definitely think that we're going to see him at some time this season. That kid, uh, looks more polished than your average prospect. Uh, another guy that I really like, um, just with his hands and his awareness on the ice, his ability to make plays and draw defenders to him was Dominic Cahoon. He really drives the center uh, center of the ice, and that's how he, he was the one that set up that 4-10 goal last night um, in the preseason game. So I, I like Cahoon. I, don't, I know we had talked about before we came on about his bonuses possibly being an issue with the cap. You know, his performance bonus is around $3 million or something like that. 2.85. So he, if he's hitting those uh, numbers, I mean, I think he got, I mean, it, it, it's tough to manage with the cap, but that's a good problem, I think, um, if you can get someone that was unexpected, because he wasn't really on my radar until I watched this prospect tournament. Um, but he, he definitely impressed me. Uh, Adam Boquist, that defenseman we just drafted, that's the best, the uh, biggest thing about him is he's raw. I mean, he's still so young. He's, 18 years old. Um, he's fast. He's got some speed from the back end. He's definitely an offensive defenseman. So that's, you know, Hawks drafting for the future. They're looking. They weren't just drafting to fill a hole that they needed immediately with a scoring winger or something like that. They're looking to rebuild that decor when, as your Brent Seabrooks and Duncan Keith are aging here. Um, so Boquist, he's a couple years off. He's still got a uh, little bit of polishing to do on his game. Um, and then let's see who else do we have there? Um, Colin so, Dahlia goaltender. He played the second half of last night. Um, I don't know. The goaltender situation is we, obviously we have the Crawford issue, but uh, you could possibly see Dahlia stepping into a backup role, depending on 
Anton Forsberg's play. Obviously, we know we're going to have Cam Ward on the roster. Um, so Colin Delia was the primary goaltender. I guess you could say the number one goaltender of the prospect tournament there. Um, Victor Edgesell, he played in that prospect tournament, and I know Hawks fans saw him a little bit last year because he played at the end of the regular season. Um, I, I'm just looking for him to make strides this year. Use his shot. He does have a very, very good shot. So I, if we talk about a scoring winger, I know he's a center, but if you put him on the wing and set him up, maybe use him on a second power play unit, uh, Victor Edgesell should be able to, you know, bring home some slap shot goals. Uh, he's got a nice wrister too, quick release on that. So uh, I'd look for edge cell to be more, more of a scoring threat this season. And that, that was about what I had from the uh, prospect tournament. There was Philip Kurashev. I think he was sent to his, um, uh, his OHL team or wherever he's playing today but he he had a couple of good games but i don't know if we'll ever see him the, the those are my big observations from prospect camp there's a bunch of highlights from it over on my twitter it's at nani johnny um if you wanted to go and take a look at those we also retweeted him from the blackhawks nation account so if you wanted to see any of what i was just talking about there you can head over there and check them out Good stuff over there, Jenny. Uh, one of the things that I didn't realize is that Gustav Forsling is uh, technically a non-roster player right now. Hmm. Um, what, what happened to Forsling? I, I must have had, missed something. He had wrist surgery over the summer, so oh, he was right. in that same. Uh, he's probably going to be out until about early mid-November. Um, so I think they're just leaving space there to um, see what these other defensemen can do for right now. And he's another okay. one that could jump in and, and kind of make a difference, man. He's, I mean, he's showing he is, signs of great defensemen. Yeah, I was hoping he would start on the, uh, you know, I obviously the injury doesn't uh, allow for that since his recovery times until November. Mm -hmm. But I was hoping that he could have been one of those guys that's kind of like a little bit of a spark plug on the uh, back end to generate some offense going forward. Him and Gustafson would have been the guys to do it, mm -hmm. in my opinion, but Hey, maybe we could see Henry Okaharu earlier out of that then. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of exciting young uh, guys who could fill uh, spots in those in the D lines. The one thing, though, is going to be interesting to see is who becomes that number one, two pairing. Uh, the Hawks really haven't signed any major free agents. I know that's one of the things over the offseason that, that people were really looking for them to do. It's kind of like a broken record every year we go into the offseason. It's like, is Stan going to sign that that you know number th like a solid number three, number two D-man to play with Duncan Keith uh, ever since Brent Seabrook kind of took that step down um, over the past two, three years. I, I don't see that happening right now, especially this year with, the, with just the way that the team is set up. Although you would have liked to see some of that, that, that cap money that they saved in that hosted deal go towards something, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Th there were plenty of guys that were around uh, linked to the Hawks in trades and, and on the free agent market. I know Falk was a big name uh, that they just never ended up, you know, kind of following through on. Uh, but yeah, I, I can see, you know, a, a future of, of Boquist and Yokohario uh, and Forsling and, you know, there's, there's a Bodine. few other guys that Bodine is in there. Uh, you've got, you know, Dahlstrom, if he if he takes strides, uh, Darren Radish is also another guy. He's mm -hmm. 22 years old. Some of these guys can can surprise you. Um, 
and come up and be you know solid D guys if they if they develop the right way. Um, Gustafson is going to be the one guy, like you said a little bit earlier, of, of who I'm going to keep my eye on a lot this year. Yeah. Uh, because I think what they need out of him is to develop into that two, number two, number three D guy. It's a little scary uh, on the surface, but if if Gustafson can kind of hold that down until some of these other young, really young prospects uh, can can figure it out. Uh, that's what they're going to need because I just don't see them spending more money on, on D when they have money locked up in in other places right now. Yeah, I think Stan kind of told us what his plan was by signing Brandon Manning. Uh, they weren't looking to go out and get that, you know, big number two, number three type. They were looking for someone that's going to appease Coach Q and fill some minutes on that third pair. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Now, you did bring up in there the, the goalie situation. So uh, we can't get through this podcast without talking about what's going on with Corey Crawford and a, a big change that's come to the Blackhawks injury policy. I, for one, am going to be really sad uh, now that they don't just use the upper body, lower body injury <laughs> yeah. because it provided a lot of good humor on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to lose... We're going to lose some of that. We're going to lose the the mystery behind what's going on. Uh, it's going to make the beat reporters really happy. It might make our jobs a little bit easier as far as covering the Hawks go, but it, 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 it'll it also steal content from us because now we can't just fucking make shit up. Like, <laughs> right. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I equate this kind of like the Jose Abreu injury, Johnny, that yeah. just a little bit. Uh, like, what's going on in his his lower abdomen? You know, yeah. it's like, OK, like and then it comes out like, oh, the dude had, you know, something wrong with his balls. Um, <laughs> yeah. What are, uh, you know, we can't make up we can't make up shit now. So it, it comes out that Corey Crawford has a concussion. Now, I think that's what everybody who is really in the know kind of knew was going on. But then, you know, you get in these kind of conversations with people. Um, I was at uh, I was at a, a, a work event uh over the summer and, and I was talking to a gentleman. He's like, what's going on with Corey Crawford? Like, I don't know. I've heard some really random stuff. He's like, yeah, I heard he's got a cocaine problem. Mm. It's like, I didn't hear that one. Yeah. Where'd you, where'd you hear that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, everybody knows about it. Are you sure? Yeah. It's a, it's a real thing. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if he ever gets back on the ice again. Cause I heard that the, like, you know, he's going to, he's going like, to check into rehab or something like that's definitely where he's been. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's all that speculation that goes out there and people come up with all these crazy ideas of what's really going on with these players. Corey Crawford to me, he looks like Brian Bickle at the end of what we knew of right. Brian Bickle. Um, you can honestly, you can obviously tell that the, he's dealing with an injury that is going to take him a very long time to come back from. And I think what fans need to kind of expect is when we do get Corey Crawford back, is he really the Corey Crawford that we had before? Um, Cam Ward's a stopgap for that. Uh, that uh, a lot of people didn't like the Cam Ward signing, giving the guy $3 million to come in and, basically be a number two goalie on the surface but cam ward's not a number two goalie on the surface right now he's actually the hawks number one yeah Uh, and what scares me is that not that cam ward is your number number one it's that anton forsberg is still your number two um 
let's be honest. The most fun we had watching somebody play goal last year was watching an accountant come on <laughs> and play goal for the Blackhawks. Like that guy was arguably like the best, most electric goalie for the Hawks this year. And I know the situation <laughs> kind of plays to itself, but let's be real. Corey Crawford held that team together until he he didn't because he wasn't there anymore. And no. when we get Corey Crawford back, the guy hasn't played meaningful hockey in almost a year now. So there's going to be rust. There's also going to be, you know, there's going to be some sort of not, not PTSD to an extent, but can you imagine stepping back into the crease knowing like, Hey, last time that I was actually playing in a meaningful game, what happened to me Hmm. and the the long road that, that I had to battle back from, there's going to be, there's going to be a mental part to this for Corey we're not going to see the same Corey Crawford right off the bat. That's not to say that he can't get back to that level and carry the Hawks again, but we're uh, the, the Blackhawks eggs right now, in my opinion are in Cam Ward's basket until Corey Crawford can be Corey Crawford again. And there's no guarantees there. So we all know that goalies get injured. We've seen it every year. Corey Crawford goes down for a period of time. When we had Scott Darling, we had that answer right now. Think about, think about going back into this year with Anton Forsberg as your number one, if something were to happen to Cam Ward. I mean, <sighs> it's weird, man. This the, I know that they are, you know, they're re they said that they're going to kind of reship on how they're going to tell the public about the injuries, but still, it's still not, there's something off about this entire situation, you know. If he is still suffering the symptoms from a concussion this at this point, you know, what he, they said he did it what last season at some point. He stopped playing in end of fe- end of December. Yeah, that's a long dude, that's a long time. There's some MMA fighters that get back to training after being knocked unconscious and just get right back to it with no problems at all. So it's like like kind of what you said, Tony, if he comes back in what version of Corey Crawford are we going to see? It's not going to be a good one, you know, and how long can he play still if he's still experiencing symptoms from a concussion? Yeah, this all worries me. I mean, the silence around the situation um, and then the kind of telling that he's not going to be ready by signing Cam Ward for that big of a contract. Um, I don't know. It's it's tough to deal with, but I think, uh, I mean, I don't know if he's ever going to be the same guy. Um they said, I think there was reports last spring that he was dealing with vertigo-type symptoms. So, I mean, that that can really mess with you, especially with your bearings as a goalie. Um, so that that's it's tough news to accept, but I think the it's a reality for the Hawks. And I, the only people that really know what's going on are Corey Crawford and the front office guys. And I think they're using the stopgap method right now, hoping that he can recover. Um, but I don't know if that's ever that we're going to see the same Corey Crawford that, uh, we had when in the 2015 Stanley cup for us. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, well, some of that also comes with age a little bit. Like I wouldn't expect five years ago, Corey Crawford to show up and, and carry the Hawks to another cup the same way that he did, uh, in 2015. I mean, that's, that's a little bit unreasonable to expect, um, but at the same point in time, I mean, there's got to be a better plan here than 
signing Cam Ward and relying on Anton Forsberg. Now, hindsight's twenty twenty. We could have all said, like, hey, maybe we should have traded Corey Crawford at this point in time and rode the Scott Darling train. Uh, yeah, you should have, because I think the alternative, and Darling didn't even have a great year last year. Darling had a pretty bad year. He yeah. had a really bad year. Granted, but, he had the Carolina defense in front of him, but he still, hit, yes. Yeah. So like, like, let's look at that. Like he he did have the Carolina defense in front of him. He had to he had to leave Chicago, the only place that's really accepted him since he dealt with all of that alcoholism battle. Uh, gave him a chance, brought him up, loved him. He, he you know, hometown kid, uh, first year on the road in the NHL after going through all that. There's probably a little bit of a mental thing there too for for Scott Darling, and I know he was up to the challenge. Uh, that that article that he wrote in the Players Tribune uh, to say goodbye to Chicago, all, all mm-hmm. that stuff. You got to know that that still plays into into Scott Darling's day to day. I mean, the guy has a fucking tattoo of you know the the Hawk Stanley Cup shit that he won with them and, and all this stuff. Chicago's his home. Yeah, uh, and players do get homesick. I mean, these guys are human, man. Uh, you can't you can't really fault them for having emotions tied to this. I mean, the kid's a Blackhawks fan. He yeah. always was. I mean, so there's some of that, and I kind of attributed to that. But the the Hawks had a chance to kind of move on from Corey Crawford before Corey Crawford aged. And one of the things that I see with this Blackhawks team, and although I am a very sentimental guy, as I as I talked about with Marion Hosa, the Hawks have done nothing with any of their assets that they have had over the past few years to turn some of those great assets into stuff for the future, right? So we've passed the point on most of our core where we can trade them for influential major pieces. So, you know, Patrick Kane's getting up there. He's 29 now. Jonathan Taves is 30. Brent Seabrook's 33. Duncan Keith is 35. Not that you'd want to see any of those guys go, but I'm guaranteeing you that there were times post 2015 where Stan Bowman fielded offers on any of those names they could have been major returns for the Blackhawks that would have shifted the next 5 years. Mm. Corey Crawford included in that. Right. So you can't sit there and have all of these guys age and fall off and expect late round draft picks and um you know, low first round guys to become influential players. You look at how they built this team and it was guys like Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Duncan Keith, who were drafted very early because the Hawks were terrible. Hmm. And basically what, what my thing is before we even get into season predictions, I think we already know where we're going with this. The Hawks cannot expect to compete again and be as dominant as they were by drafting in the middle of the draft over and over and over again without also spending money on high-end talent in the free agent market or moving some of these guys for top-end prospects or NHL-ready young players. It just doesn't work like that. We saw this with we saw this with the Cubs for a very long time. We saw this with the White Sox, and that, that spurred the direction for the rebuild. Mm-hmm. We're going to see it with the Hawks right now. They're going to just slide into that team that can compete a little bit That'll keep fans interested, but not really go anywhere because they're kind of in that middle. I like to use that Rickon. We're mired in mediocrity right here. That's yep. at least how I feel. Yeah, well, I get the same I get the same vibe there. 
And it's probably too late to kind of jump on the things that you were saying, right? Like who's going to pick up, you know, do you think that we should have traded Kane and Taves at some point? That's a really tough question. Right. I can't, Taves I can't really maybe. answer that. But Kane is still producing, you know, so it's like, do you keep someone that's going to be, you know, I, I know there's always talk about the sportsmanship and the role model and the captaincy of Taves and kind of what he brings to the locker room. But I think that Kane also brings an aspect of a learning mechanism to the guys playing with him. You know, a lot of those guys jump on a line with him and feel how it is to be with someone that's a superstar and can take a lot away from that. Look at Panarin, you know, so yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, I think Kane brings a lot more than just his scoring to the mix. And if I had to choose between the two, I probably would have traded Taves a long time ago. Yep, I agree 100% with you, Tyler. I would definitely not ever, I never even considered it uh, trading a Kane, but Taves has definitely crept into my mind mm-hmm. about, you know, possibly moving for valuable young pieces that could be a part of the next uh, winning team. So that it's obviously not going to get moved now. So uh, it's, it's kind of sucks to hang around in the middle there, but uh, it, I mean, it's not what people want to hear, but I do think we will draft a little higher this year as if we're going to shift over to season predictions. Um, I don't think we're going to make the playoffs this year. No, not with the goaltender situation that we have and the possible and the defensive situation yeah. too. It's just not. Yeah, there's there's way too many question marks on this team for me to to really pin it down. Uh, it would really suck to see the team miss the playoffs two years in a row. Um, this is getting kind of somber <laughs> around the first four feathers podcast. I thought we we'd have a little bit more fun talking about talking about some of this stuff, but. Uh, yeah, this there, there's way too many question marks. You look up and down this roster. There is a lot of exciting young players, and we kind of we kind of went over some of that stuff. I mean, the prospect tournament went very well for the Blackhawks. Um, Alex DeBrinket is a young, great talent. Uh, Nick Schmaltz is a young, very very high upside guy. But do you really expect either of those guys to have the kind of influence that a Kane or a Taves did over the course of this franchise? No, I don't think so. Yeah, it's not going to be on the same level, but I do think DeBrincat's going to be one of our top scorers this year yeah. again. I think he's a 30-goal guy for the next, you know, five, six, seven years for sure, but not someone that is a uh, someone who can take a game into his own hands. And he has shown the ability to do that. You know what? He had three hat tricks last year or whatever it was. But yeah, I think when you draft someone like Kay, or Tay, uh, Taves, Kane, or even someone like Keith, you kind of know right when you draft him that he's going to make a big difference. So who do you think, if there is anybody on this roster, in the next five to seven years, is going to be the face of the Blackhawks? If we remove Kane, Taves, Zebra, Keith from this from this group, who's who's the guy that the fans should be most excited about? Who's that next that next superstar for the Hawks? Is he on this roster? Or well, is it somebody that we're going to get in free agency? Is, is there one of these guys that you really can say, like, this is the guy that a bunch of kids are going to be buying jerseys for in, in the next two, three years? All right. I Before you said that, you know, is he even on this roster? I was thinking of just guys that are on the team right now. So if I had to pick one of those, I'm going with uh, Nick Schmaltz. Hmm. Um, the kid has incredible speed end-to-end. 
Um, he kind of, I mean, I know it's, uh, you can't say an exact comparison, but I would say for me, it reminds me in flashes of Connor McDavid and his way, his ability to uh, weave through the center of the ice with so much speed. And then he obviously has the hands. So um, I, I would say Nick Schmaltz if we're picking from this roster. You know, I know we just kind of said the opposite of what we think about Debrinket, but I think, you know, if, if we're saying on the roster, it's got to be Debrinket um, just with his, you know, with his ability to score. And I think he also plays to a fan base of, you know, smaller guys who play hockey and want to see someone that's successful. You know, it's it's really only who him and Victor Arvidsson from Nashville that are, you know, playing at that size and at that level and scoring goals. But I'd like to see Yokoharu kind of jump up and become, I mean, maybe not a fan favorite because I feel like defensemen really never get the credit they deserve. Um, I mean, from hardcore fans they do, but from the run-of-the-mills people, they don't really see them as an electrifying player. But I think Yokoharu, if he can jump in and really be, you know, someone who makes a difference, I think I think the fans can get behind him. Do we exclude Brandon Saad from this group? I mean, he's 25 years old. Uh, he already has some sort of a history with the Chicago Blackhawks winning a Stanley Cup, obviously. Um, I know he's got the big contract already. He's already he's already moved jerseys in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But if there's a guy, I think, that, that can really become a long stay, uh, I, I would kind of put my money more on Brandon Saad because he's already kind of started that. Now, I know last year was a bad showing for him. Uh, but I think if he can turn it around and, and, and put things together next year, uh, over the next two years, actually, I think he can kind of become the next, you know, guy that's here for the next six, seven years, uh, depending on if they resign him or, or anything like that. But, uh, I think he has the most potential out of this group, uh, just based on where he is now versus some of these other guys. I know that they have, they, they're a little bit younger. They've got more more upside, I would say, than Brandon Saad. But if you're looking for consistency, somebody who does still have uh, a few years left under him to to get even better, uh, I think Brandon Saad might need to be in that conversation. That's yeah, just I think my take. That, absolutely, Tony. I agree with you. I think for me, I like Brandon Saad, but it didn't seem like he was inserting himself into enough plays um, last year. And I think he did that better in his first stint with the Hawks, even though he was younger, it kind of seems odd to do that, but he was, he found himself in the right places more frequently than he did last year. Mm-hmm. I know there were different, you know, different dynamics and you play a different role. Uh, it was lower on the depth chart there as far as forward lines, but if he's going to be that impact guy, that you're talking about, Tony, he's got to start inserting himself into more plays. And then that will help Jonathan Taves as well. Cause you know, we thought, Oh, bringing sod back. That's going to be the, um, what, what's Taves, you know, uh, flourish again. Well, let's hope he can do that this year, actually be a playmaker and play creator for Jonathan Taves. Look at the first game last year. I mean, it was ridiculous. You know, it's, You'd love to see that's that's Brandon Sott's game, right? Crashing yeah. the net and kind of making a skill play while doing so. And I feel like, you know, with Kane, I mean, you get those opportunities with Kane, but I feel like, you know, on a line with Taves, that that's where those opportunities really come when, when you're with someone that's really working hard around the net and kind of making plays happen. But, I mean, we'll see, man. I think, I, I, honestly, I didn't even think Assad when you asked that question. I think that says a lot about, 
kind of the year he had and the return that he had last year. And, and then the expectations that we set for him coming back, especially when we're giving yeah. something up like Panarin. A lot of people forget that he's only 25 years old. Like, yeah. if you had to ask me, like, off without looking it up, I would have said probably 26, 27. Um, so, yeah, still a lot of time for him. And I, I really hope he can become that guy that is one of the next faces, like you say, of the franchise. Mm-hmm. So you did – you would pick Nick Schmaltz. And yep. I'm, I'm looking at Nick Schmaltz. And I've got sport track up. So I'm looking at salaries. I'm looking at, at – ages i've got all this information in front of me nick schmaltz if we have to talk about who the best asset on the hawks current roster is right now that's nick schmaltz 22 years old plays a prime position center uh is already a second line center on a line with patrick kane uh so he's proven that you know that he's got this talent to play now, I mean, he's older or he's younger than guys like Dylan Sakura and, and Edsel and uh, even Brandon Saad, like some of these other guys. So he he's relatively young. So if you look at his trajectory, yeah, he he, he can be a superstar. Um, his cap hit is under a million dollars. Yep. He's coming 925. in at 925. I hate to advocate trading somebody like that right now. But could you imagine the value that they would get out of a deal for a guy like Nick Schmaltz? And what could that do? Now, I know I know we want to stay away from trading young, potential generational talents. But that's my question for you guys. Is Nick Schmaltz a generational talent? Is he going to develop into the next Jonathan Taves? Or is he more of a Artem Anisimov in six years where he's a third, second line mix center? Or is he going to be a number one guy? And is there a sweet spot over the next few years where Nick Schmaltz is a prime target to move for a huge package that brings us back D or the next goalie that we need to win the Stanley Cup? What do you do with something like that? I'm kind of on the fence here just looking at there's something to be said for what what he's paid versus where his – I guess trajectory for his career goes and how the league views a guy like Nick Schmaltz. Do you sign him early? Uh, maybe to try and get a little discount on him or do you kind of wait this one out and see where he goes? Because you also have to realize they're going to have to pay some of these guys again, all at the same point in time. Uh, and we're still not going to be cleared of cap hits like Brent Seabrook or Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane. Those are all going to be names that are still on the payroll when we have to go and sign guys like Nick Schmaltz. I'd imagine he's going to get a pretty penny. I just don't think we've seen enough of Schmaltz's game to really think if he's going to be, you know, that generational talent. I mean, he shows, again, he's another one of those players that's young, but also he's he's shown in games that he can be a game changer. And I think that's all we really have to go off of, right? I mean, he's... I mean, he's a decent, he's shown brilliance in defensive, you know, stealing the puck. He's pretty damn good at that. And he's got some great speed and, you know, his shot, I'd like to see him let go of his shot a little bit more. He's got some great playmaking abilities, but I don't know if he's a generational talent at the end of the day. Yeah, it's tough. I, uh, yeah, I think he may be a cap crunch type of guy that, you know, you try to move and get some assets for him. But I am of the belief that I really think Nick Schmaltz has the talent to be. He, he's going to be his own player. I hate 
could compare him to someone like Connor McDavid because he's not. I mean, the Connor McDavid's a you know top of the draft uh, type of guy. The you know you build your franchise around him in uh, Edmonton. So I'm not saying he's someone like that, but I really like the up the ice speed game. He's more of today's NHL center. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I uh, God, it's tough. It's tough that situation that you presented there, Tony. Um, but I, I would prefer not to lose him and that may you know mean signing him to a uh, deal earlier they, they've you know they've done it with guys that you wouldn't even think think about some of these defensemen that they've uh, shelled out some extensions to early on I could definitely see that happen with Nick Schmaltz but I would be more okay with that because I really think he has the uh, most upside of this young forward group uh, I mean obviously the Brinkett and Sakura but it, it's hard with a, a center like that, like Schmaltz to let him go. Would you so, be more open to letting him, sorry to cut you off, but would you be more open to letting him go if his contract or if the trade was with Seabrook as well? Like a team is willing to eat Seabrook's contract if they got yeah, Schmaltz. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the, that's really the only situation where I feel comfortable getting, losing a guy like that. You cut me off and you said exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> that was perfect. perfect. Um, I was going to say, he, he seems like the kind of candidate to move in, in another deal like this. But we've made way too many deals where we're giving up yeah. old you know, old guys on bad deals with, with young guys like that. And, and you have to get something back for this. Um, here's my thing, though. If you re-sign Nick Schmaltz, what are you looking at dollar-wise? If Artem Anisimov is on a $5 million deal, you're probably looking in the 6-7 range mm-hmm. for a guy like Nick Schmaltz when it comes up. If the, if the numbers are there, yeah. you're probably looking at least $5 million base. His agent isn't going to sit there and go, yeah, we'll take a 4-5. Right. Yeah. So That's you know, a... you're looking you're looking at a guy who's going to sign for probably Brandon Sod money, which is six seven five, um, especially you know in the prime of his career. Uh, they started that contract early. Again, you bring you bring up we're not the White Sox. We 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 bring these people yeah. up for their years. Uh, he's going to be in the middle of his prime, in the middle of his twenties, looking for a new deal, probably something five to six years. Uh, you're going to have to pay him. You're gonna have to pay him, and that's that's one of those things. If if we're paying a Nick Schmaltz six seven million, what's that gonna eat into if he's not a number one center? Hmm. Uh, so I guess my hope for Nick Schmaltz is, I hope he's that guy. I hope he's I hope he's replacing Jonathan Taves at some point at number one center for that kind of money. Otherwise, there's a lot of guys on this roster that we look at and go, can we get better by moving them? It's just, I think it's a tough situation. It's a tough, it's a tough to look in the future and see, especially kind of with the, their, with their play as of recent. It's kind of hard to even imagine the success that we're going to have in the future without actually seeing some of it come to light. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I think we're just going to have to see how Nick Schmaltz is performing throughout the season. Then the front office is obviously going to have to make a decision, weigh the cap against what they think his potential value could be. Do so. we know how many years he has left on his ELC? Probably one, right? This, this, this yeah, Schmaltz, Schmaltz is a restricted free agent in 2019. 
So they're going to have to pony up some some sort of money for him over the next year or so. Yeah. That's that's going to be interesting to see what they do with that. Uh, and that, that kind of goes back to the, yeah, we've got $5.4 million in cap space. And I can see where a guy like Stan Bowman, and despite the fans crying, what are you doing? Is kind of sitting on that money going, I'm breathing a little bit easier right now. Mm-hmm. Because I I have money available to do stuff next off season, and I know that's not really a good answer for the fans. I know that's probably not a good answer to John McDonough, uh, who needs to sell tickets to Blackhawks games, and that and that's another thing that I want to kind of get into here on, on day one. Have have either of you guys seen the amount of effort that the Blackhawks have put into trying to sell tickets this year versus yeah, year well, well they come up with that hat trick plan where you buy like three, it's a three game plan. They just sent an email about that the other day. I got that. So yeah, they definitely are trying. I mean, I don't think opening uh, home opener sold out yet, whereas that would be a tough ticket to get in past years. Right. Yeah, I was seeing. Uh, uh, 300 level tickets for like 60 bucks, That's really, 35 that's bucks on weekends. Um, I, I remember paying tickets over a hundred dollars to just go sit in the 300 level, mm-hmm. uh, on Wednesday nights over the past few years. So uh, things are going to change around the, the UC this year. You don't like to see that happen. I mean, Hawks games have always had the best atmosphere, I think, of any game in Chicago. 100%. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, going to the UC, hearing the anthem, uh, just the buzz around uh, around the stadium over the past decade has just been uh, second to none. And in, in, like I said, any Chicago sport, uh, I would, I would, I'm not a Cubs fan, but I would venture to say that the UC was probably louder. Uh, when the Hawks won the Cup, then when the when the Cubs won the World Series, uh, that place has just always been electric. When you walk in the door there, uh, it it's just it's one of those things. Uh, the anthem amps you up. Uh, you've got you know the best anthem singer. You've got Gene Honda on the PA. Like everything is just perfect. I mean it 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 is a hot ticket, and to see the. I guess the decrease in season ticket holder uh, renewal rates to see them try and go out and move tickets to opening day, which is what is it? Two, three weeks away from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still uh, not, 15 not days over seventh. Yeah. Normally that's sold out the day the tickets go on sale. Um, it's going to be a little bit easier to grab a ticket this year and go actually watch the Hawks. So I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Uh, there's a lot of people, a lot of Hawks fans who've been priced out over the past few years. That's changing. Um, Johnny, you like to say it for the White Sox, get to the ballpark. Uh, we should be advocating people. If you haven't been able to go to a Hawks game yeah. for the past 10 years because you don't want to spend $400 to take your family of four to go sit in the 300 level at a Hawks game, even though you'd love to do so. I mean, not a lot of people have that kind of money to just drop a few times a year. Uh, this is your year to do that and still see guys like Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith. Uh, we, we went over this with Marion Hosa. You never know when that's going to be your last chance to see somebody like that. Yep. I, I would advocate if you're a Hawks fan and haven't been to the stadium in a while, uh, this is your time to do it and jump on it because you're not going to get that opportunity uh, to go see these guys uh, play while they're still somewhat in their prime. 
So that's uh, that's one of the things that I want to bring out for this year is go watch these guys play because you don't know how long you're going to have them around. And these are Hall of Fame hockey players. Go watch them. Yeah, I've been lucky enough. I've been able to get to a game every year for about the past six, seven seasons, at least one a year. So that's always been good. I am going to the uh, last preseason home game. Uh, they play Columbus on the 29th, which is also my birthday. So no better place to uh, spend your birthday than at the Madhouse on Madison. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I definitely echo that uh, sentiment. Tony, get out to the UC. Yeah, man, I went to a ton of games last year, and it was, it was. I mean, it's although it is hard to watch them lose, it's still, like you guys said, it's a great atmosphere. It's a great time, so definitely get out there. Yeah, I don't I don't think I've ever had a bad time at a Hawks game. No. Uh, there actually was one game that I didn't like going to. Uh, it was the 2015 Cup run. Uh, I bought the tickets for my wife and I to go – uh, to the one game that they lost at home to the Ducks. Um, <laughs> oh, that was. I shelled out. I it was probably close to a grand uh, that night, just to when when all was said and done between the tickets, the parking, the alcohol, the food, um, the bar pre and post. Uh, it was probably about a grand to just basically go watch Patrick Kane score one spinorama goal, and the rest of the game was complete trash. Um, other than that, I I can't speak towards any time that I've ever been there uh, and had a bad time. Uh, I even had a good time going when I was in high school and the stadium was completely empty. Uh, buddies and I just go grab some tickets, go down there. The stadium was empty. You get to go chirp at players who are on the ice. They can hear you. Mm. Uh, Ryan Getzlaff still probably remembers my buddies and I. Um <laughs> Considering he, he pointed to us after he scored the goal, uh, <laughs> we, we said some very disrespectful things towards him. Uh, Pat Lodeway, if you're listening to this, you know exactly what we said to him. Um, I don't think that you can take him in a fight. It, it was probably very ill-advised of you to say that at the time. Getzlav's a, a pretty big fucking dude. Uh, but regardless, I mean, Hawks games are fun. Get out there. Uh Buy a ticket on a weeknight. You probably get in there for two tickets for sixty bucks. I would venture to say, uh, just judging on how this year's going to go. So that's all I got to say uh, on that topic. Dude, I uh, went guys, to. Have... What's that? Oh, sorry. I went to say, the guys, fucking. Guys, do you have anything else you want to talk about? No, no. I think we're good. Go. I think. I, so we, if we're getting close to winding this down here, I know we had talked about it and planning for the show. You know, we talked a lot about the team and the sad reality of, you know, what our position is probably going to be this year in the standings. So let's end on a high note and say what your favorite cup was and why. Hmm. All right, I'll start it off. Uh, 2015 for sure for me. Um, I just think it was just the the entire route of getting there. It was, you know, the first series with Nashville was just ridiculous. You know, we had a couple games. We had what? At that point, it was one of the longest games of all time, right? It was double overtime or something like that. And, uh, yeah, just watching them kind of go through adversity and almost in every series look like they were about to kick the can and come back and win it. It was just, it was well worth it. Johnny, I'll toss it over to you, yeah. For, for me, it was 2010. 
um, that was the great revival of hockey in Chicago. Um, that you just felt the energy um, every single day. It, it, everyone was gear, gearing up for the Hawks game uh, on that Stanley Cup run. Um, I, I'll never forget. I I was watching with one of my uh, close friends who is just as big of a hockey fan as I am and uh, a couple others who weren't as big into hockey or more baseball fans, but, you know, they're watching the cup run with us and we'd wa- get together and watch every game. And then me and my one good friend who had said was into hockey too, we, we are the only ones to jump up. We knew Kane got that puck in behind. We knew it from right away. And everybody's kind of like, what, what, what happened? Hmm. And I know some people say, Oh, you know, they didn't like the delay on it. You like to, you know, celebrate all at once. Like, you know, I know 17 seconds was great. And that was, I definitely love that one as well, but just the whole release of that goal finally going in. And I knew it before the other people in the room. Um, I, I don't know. It, it was just, uh, an awakening. And obviously that started such a great stretch of it. So those are just great memories for me. 2010. And uh, I, I kind of like Philly, too, so it was cool seeing two teams that I like. If I had to pick an Eastern Conference team, it would probably be Philly. Um, so, and I, I don't know, I always like Daniel Carcillo. He was on the Flyers at that time. I just like the grit that he brought. Um, so, I mean, it was cool to see them beat the Flyers and then, you know, all the trash talk back and forth, the Chrissy Pronger on the Tribune. <laughs> and, you know, that, that was just, just great memories from that season. I still have all the newspapers saved. It's, uh, it'll forever stick in my memory. So for me, this is kind of a tough question because I, I talked a little bit about what 2010 meant to me um, for my daughter getting married. First job, I was working downtown. Um, I actually got that job in in February and, um, you know, I was in the loop. Um, so, you know, you meet a bunch of guys who are all big Hawks fans. And uh, when, when the Hawks won, I was I was right down there for the parade. I mean, work basically stopped, got to go experience all that stuff. Um, 2013 for me, though, uh, I had just recently turned 22 uh, at the time. So you're of drinking age, so you could do a little bit different than, than, than I could have during the 2010 Cup run. Yeah. Um, got to experience the, the ability to have copious amounts of alcohol during playoff hockey. Uh, at the age of 22 is a lot different than being a few years younger and, and watching it, even though that year was, that was, that year was huge for me. Uh, and, and like you said, the revival and, and being downtown and part of that atmosphere, um, 2013 for me, the, the Boston series was just incredible. Um, I, I remember just being so much more, almost emotionally invested in that series in 2010. And, and maybe that's just because of the, the time that's passed now. I'm sure I was just as amped. But I remember um, being in my family room with, with my wife, uh, watching the, the 17 seconds when they won. And that whole series, I don't think I sat down. Um, we, I, I'm a very superstitious person. Uh, I, still have my sh- I still have my shirt that I wore – um, throughout the playoffs in, in 2010 and 2013. Um, but by that time it started to have some holes in it 
but like I had to wear that shirt under <laughs> under uh, under my under my Hosa jersey, and then depending on where we were, like my wife and I would like do this whole like, where are we sitting? Like, what are we wearing? What's going on? I've got a story that I'll tell you guys off air uh, about about some of this superstition. Uh, you'll enjoy it, but it's 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 it definitely does not belong on the air. Um, <laughs> so there was this whole like superstition thing of, of, of how this all worked, but. For that last period, uh, I remember like jumping up and down. My my in-laws were on the phone with us on speakerphone watching this game, Big Hawks fans. And I just remember dropping to my knees at the first goal with two Coronas in my hand. And then when the second goal went in, I mean, all hell broke loose in my family room. <laughs> I heard the fireworks going off outside. Like shit just, it, it just went unreal. Uh, so that was probably my favorite moment of, of being a Hawks fan. Um, and the, the other part to that was uh, um, my grandmother is actually a big Hawks fan. And so when when the Hawks won the cup, I had like six or seven different text messages going at the time. And my buddy had texted me like something. And I just remember trying to respond to him. And my grandmother got this text message from me that was just a giant, long F-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-